Good to see each one again. If you have your Bibles this morning, open to the book of Nehemiah chapter 2. We're in a series that we've entitled, Rebuilding Walls, Finding Your Place. Look, God has never placed a person within a church, His body, the body of Christ, just to attend and that's it. You know, God has a place for you. If you're a member of Fairview Baptist Church, God has a place for you here in this church on the wall, so to speak. We'll get into that a little bit later in this series to see where we get this title, Finding Your Place on the Wall. But God has never saved anyone just to have a place to sit on Sunday morning, okay? God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has a place for you on this wall that we're calling the church, the body of Jesus Christ. Now, we saw last week one thing that's required before stepping up to the plate, and that's what we want to talk to you about this morning, finding your place, then stepping up to the plate and doing what it is God has called you to do. But we seen last week that first thing that's required or one thing required before stepping up to the plate is prayer. You know, not just powder puff prayers, rather prayers that we looked at last week of sanctity, prayers of sincerity, and prayers of a willingness to surrender ourselves to prayer. You see, that is the problem many have. They want to pray about something, but they never want to get to the point that they surrender themselves to what it is they're asking God where He would be able to use them. This, that's the first step in rebuilding broken walls within a home, within a school, within a workplace, within a church, even within a nation. Now that the prayers had been offered, Nehemiah has offered himself to be used of the Lord. It was time for Nehemiah to stand up and be counted for that which he was about to take on for the Lord. It was time for Nehemiah to step up to the plate. Now my question for you this morning, is it time that you step up to the plate? If all you've been doing is attending church, but you're not involved in ministry, you're not involved in the things that are going on at the church, isn't it time that you step up to the plate, find your place on the wall, and begin to, begin to do what God has placed you in this church to do? We need to understand that. And that's what we must all do if we're to make a difference in the rebuilding of walls. It takes a lot of commitment to stand up and be counted for the Lord. Now, the George Gallup poll I referred to in the first message of this series showed that, if you'll remember, fewer than 10%, now think about this, fewer than 10% of Americans are deeply committed Christians. Now, do you hear that figure? Less than 10%, right around 10% of Americans are deeply committed Christians. You know, th there was a number of things noted in that with those 10%. Uh, Christians, let me just name a few. They were shown to be more tolerant of people of diverse backgrounds. They were more involved in charitable activities. They were more involved in practical Christianity. They, were, uh, they also were absolutely committed to prayer. And ten, these 10% were found to be far happier than the rest of the population. He also noted this, and this is the sad thing, folks. This, I believe you can see this, that most who profess to be Christians, not the 10%, but the 90%. Most who profess Christianity do not even know the basic teachings of the faith. And because they do not know the basic teachings of the faith, they don't act significantly different from non-Christians in their daily lives. Think about that. Because they do not know the basic teachings of the faith that they say they believe in. 
And look, if you do not understand the basic, uh, you know, uh, the, the basic teachings of the faith, you're not going to act no different. And if you never study your Bible, you're not going to know what the Word of God teaches. If you're never in prayer with God, you're not going to understand what God is saying to you. We have to understand the basic teachings of the faith. And I'm not talking about the Baptist faith. I'm talking about Christianity. Now, of course, I believe Baptists go along with Christianity in their faith and in their teaching. But I'm talking about the Scripture. I'm talking about time spent with God. If you do not do that, folks, you'll never understand the basic teachings of the faith. You know, for years, church growth conferences taught what they called the 80-20 principle. If you've ever been to any church growth conferences, you've heard that phrase, the 80-20 principle. Now, if you've never heard about that, let me just explain that. The 80-20 principle states this, that 20% of the people in the church do 80% of ministry. Think about that. 20% of the people, we're just going to narrow it down to Fairview Baptist Church. 20% of the people of Fairview Baptist Church do 80% of ministry. Now, it doesn't stop there with the 80-20 principle. The 80-20 principle also says that that same 20% that do 80% of the ministry give 80% of the finances that come into the church. Wow. 20% give 80% of the finances that come into the church. But, but, but as I look at the church of the 21st century, and as I compare it to the Gallup poll that I just mentioned to you that I referenced, I believe that principle should now be called the 90-10 principle. Why do I think it should be called the 90-10 principle? Because I see 90% of ministry is being carried out by 10% of the members. Folks, that is sad. And you know why it's that way? Because people are not finding their place in the body of Christ. They're not understanding the basic teachings of our faith. That God desires us to be a part of His body and to minister to others, to, to be there for one another. But I think it should be called the 90-10 principle because I see 90% of ministry being carried out by only 10% of the members and that t- same 10% are giving 90% of the finances that come into the church. Now, some may throw a 10 or a 20 in the plate on the Sunday they decide to show up. And that's good. That's good. But can I tell you something? When a church sets its budget, the church can't set its budget on 10 or $20 every now and then coming in. The church has to set its budget on the 10% of tithers that the church knows will be coming in every month, every year. Can you you just imagine the more the church could do in the community if rather than 10% was giving 90%? Of the, of, of the finances rather than and, and turn that around to where 90% are giving the finances folks we could help people in this community we could help those who are homeless we could help those who, who are hungry we could help those who need clothes but when you've only got 10% giving 
90%. It ties the hands of the church to be what God has placed us here to be. To do what God has placed us here to do. If only 10% are committed tithers, it ties the hands of the church. Now, why is it that only 10% of the Christian population will step up to the plate and be counted for God? That's a good question. Why is only 10% willing? Again, that, that's a good question. But you know what I think the better question this morning I think we need to look at? Is how can I begin doing it? How can I move from that 90% to the 10% within my church. How can I do it? Let's see how Nehemiah was able to do it. And maybe by looking at how Nehemiah was able to do it, we can make that move from the 90% to the 10%. Let's read our scripture text this morning. Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Arnazarchus, the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine, and I gave it to the king. Now, I had been before time sad in the presence. I had not been, excuse me, before time sad in the presence of the king. In other words, Nehemiah saying, I went before the king even since I began praying about this, but I, I've kept my composure. I never was sad in his presence. Wherefore, the king said to me, now this day he went before the king with a sad countenance upon his face. Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of the heart. The king recognized something is troubling Nehemiah. Something is bothering Nehemiah. He said, I've never seen you like this before. Then I was very sore afraid and said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my fathers, the sepulchers, lie on waste, and the gates there are consumed with fire? Then the king said to me, For what doest thou make request? In other words, what can I do for you, Nehemiah? I don't like seeing you this way. I've never seen you this way before. It's obvious something is truly troubling you and burdening your heart. What can I do for you? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, this don't mean he got down on his knees and he began to pray like we seen last week he had been doing. Okay? He said, just real quickly, I sent up a prayer to God. All right, give me strength, God. Give me wisdom, God. Let me have the power I need. Okay? In verse 5, <clears throat> and I said to the king, if it please the king and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight and thou, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that... I may build it. And the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long shall your journey be? And when will you, thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Verse 7, moreover, I said to the king, if it pleased the king, uh, you know, he could have just stopped right there, couldn't he? He doesn't got permission to go. But what we're going to see here in just a few minutes, prayer gave Nehemiah boldness. He could have stopped right there and said, okay, the king told me to go. But no, look at verse 7. Moreover, I said to the king, now, if it please the king, let letters be given to me to the governors beyond the river that, I may uh, that they may convey me over till I come into Jerusalem. 
And a letter also, he didn't stop there, a letter also is to Aspis, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates and of the palace which uh, appertained to the house and for the walls of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon him. Now, what can we learn from these scriptures that can encourage us to step up to the plate? What can we learn from these scriptures that will encourage us to find our place in the body of Christ and begin doing what God has gifted us to do? First of all, we see what we got to do is pray fervently. We got to pray fervently. Look at, look at what, don't miss this. Sometimes we just read over things in the scripture, but don't miss this. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass in the month of Nisa, in the twelfth year of Ar- uh, Arnaxerxes, the king, that wine was brought before him, and I took the wine and I gave it to the king, and I had not been before time sat in his presence. Don't you say, well, what's the significance of that? The significance of that is this took place in the month of Nisan, which is April. Okay. What's April got to do with it? Well, when you go back to Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, you can see that Nehemiah began praying in the month of Chelslu. Okay, what's significant about that? Because Chelslu is the month of December. All right? Now, I'm not very good at... Uh, my gozentas, like Jeffro Bodine, Jeffro Bodine's got them gozentas right. But if it's December, January, February, March, April, that's some four months Nehemiah had been praying. Now, do you think that was a powder puff prayer? No, no, no. Nehemiah received a burden from God, and he got on his knees. He began to pray for four months. God, I want to step up to the plate. God, I want to do something about this. God, how can you use me? When was the last time you went to God so burdened about a ministry within the church? When was the last time you went before God so burdened because of a broken wall in your life that was down? Whether it was a broken wall of drugs or, you know, of alcohol or, or you know, just, you know, your family just in disarray. Your marriage is about to break up. When was the last time you went before God and spent four months every day for four months before God? Fasting and praying to God. That's what we see. That's why it's important to understand that this was in the month of Nisan, for us, April, and he started praying. Nehemiah had been praying for four months up to this point, folks. Did it take that long for God to answer Nehemiah's prayer? No. Didn't take that long. Let me tell you, the task that Nehemiah was about to undertake, God needed time to prepare him. This was a great task. And God needed time to prepare him. You see, the bigger the task that we're going to undertake from God, means the more time we need to spend with God. A big task, a lot of time with God. Small task, just maybe a 911 prayer. Look, four months, Nehemiah wept, he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. Four months of seeking and spending quality time with God. Now, though prayer, I mentioned last week, is not a substitute for work, 
In other words, when you're asked by, you know, the nominating committee to, you know, serve in a particular position within the church, you know, don't say, let me pray about it. Okay? Don't say, well, let me pray about it. No. Prayer is not a substitute for work. Prayer is a preparation for work. In other words, you commit to it, and then you begin to pray to God, give me ready, get me ready for this. Get me ready for this. Look, it's always dangerous and sinful to rush into the unknown. I will will say that. The bigger the job, the more knowledge, the more facts, the more wisdom, and the more prayer one will need. Nehemiah knew this would be a big job, and it would not be possible if God was not in it. You know, if you remember when Jesus sent the disciples into all the world to preach the gospel, when Jesus gave that command, by the way, which is still for you and I today, okay, when he did that, that seemed like an impossible task for these guys, you know. You know, he first instructed them, though, to go to Jerusalem and wait until they receive the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, without the power of the Holy Spirit, it would have been an impossible thing for these 11 ordinary average men to undertake. But can I tell you something? With with the power of the Holy Spirit of God, you know, nothing would be impossible and nothing would stop them. Listen to me. With the power of the Holy Spirit in your life today, it, you, can't, you can't even imagine what you can do for God if you'll just commit yourself to Him and then step up to the plate and say, Here I am, Lord, use me. But Jesus recognized their need for preparation. And the same is true for Nehemiah. His preparation would take four months. But folks, when he got up from his weeping, when he got up from his mourning, when he got up from his fasting and praying, I want to tell you something. He was prepared to take on any task God would give him. Any task. And if you will spend quality time with God, you know, fasting and mourning and uh, praying and, and weeping, and the Holy Spirit of God gets a hold of you, you know, there's no telling how God can use you. But you've got to get serious with God. Folks, if we're going to step up to the plate, we've got to get serious with God. Now, here's another thing. It's important to work on God's timetable. You know, isn't, isn't it amazing how we want something and we want it now? I pointed out to you before, or maybe it's on some of our Bible studies on Wednesday nights, but, you know, we're a society now that what we want, we want it now. Okay? That's why a lot of these restaurants here, you know, you had to knock a hole in the side of their building, okay, and call it a drive-through. And now we just drive through, they throw in the food we want, and we take off. Why do we do that? Because we want it now. How many of you got a microwave oven in your house? Everybody. Why? You you want me to tell you why you got that microwave oven? Because you wanted to heat something up and you wanted it now. You didn't want to wait till it boils on the stove. No, no, no. I want it now. You know, we've taken that same mentality to God. 
We want something from God. We desire something from God. And rather than being willing to spend four months on our knees, we want it now. And if God doesn't give it to us now, we don't have the patience to wait. God help us, folks. God helps us. Look, for the disciples, their weight on the Holy Spirit and their timetable to step up on the plate was some ten days. Ten days. They waited. And the Holy Spirit showed up, gave them power. And that's why we're here today. Do you not understand that? The reason we are here today as Gentiles with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit in our life is because these 11 men did what Jesus said. You go, you wait. Ten days later, the Holy Spirit come down upon them. And as a result of them stepping up to the plate, once receiving that power of the Holy Spirit, folks, we can know Jesus Christ today. What if after a week they would have said, this is ridiculous. I mean, we've been here a week, guys. Why did he send us here? What if they would have been impatient and walked out on that ninth day? Because we must have misunderstood God. Folks, do you not realize it would have affected me and you? Ten days. For Nehemiah, the timetable to step up to the plate was four months. The timetable for you to step up to the plate may be one day. It may be one week. It may be one month or anywhere in between. But you've got to be willing to spend that time with God and then be willing to step up to the plate as you get on His own timetable. Now, during this time, what did Nehemiah do for this four months? Let me tell you what he did. During this time of prayer, Nehemiah died to himself. And he died to his comfort zone. You want me to tell you why some people don't want to get involved in ministry? Because they have to get out of their comfort zone to do it. Well, pastor, I'm just not wired that way. <laughs> Maybe the Holy Spirit needs to hook you up to a 220 right quick and rewire you. Give you a shock of your life. Look at here. When you die to yourself, you're willing to get out of your comfort zone for God. Okay? You're willing to do that. As you remember, Nehemiah had that gravy job in the king's palace. All he had to do was bring the king wine when the king said, want another glass? All right, here's your other glass. He had a gravy job. He, he, he could roam all over that castle. He was a thousand miles away from Judah. He was a thousand miles away. You know, he could have just said this. I will pray for the people of Judah that God would send someone to meet their needs. You know, it would have been easy for him to do that. Yeah, I'm kind of burdened for those people. You know, they're my people. And, you know, I really don't like seeing the walls down and the gates burn. i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray that God would send somebody to help. You know, it's easy for you to sit there and me to stand here and say, we're going to pray that God would send someone to help in the nursery. <laughs> we're going to pray that God would send someone to help with our children's ministry. We're going to pray that God would send someone to help with our second Saturday outreach in the community. 
That some would go door to door. That some would hand out flyers. That some would, you know, minister to the homeless. That some, I'm going to pray. I'm going to do my part. I am going to pray that someone would step up to the plate. That's easy to do. But you know what's difficult to do? Is say, Lord, here am I, send me. Like Isaiah. And that's what we need, folks, within our church. You see, the 90% I talked about earlier in this lesson, the 90%, that's what they say. Well, Pastor, I'll help you pray that somebody will meet that need. But the 10% says, what do you need, Pastor? Where can I be used, Pastor? How can the church use the gifts that God has given me? That's what the 10% says. Where do you fall in that category? Where do you fall into that category? Again, Nehemiah was a thousand miles away, but the Spirit of the Lord touched him, and he knew without a doubt that God had called him out of that comfort zone. God had called him out of that gravy job. And as a result, he was willing to take responsibility and step up to the plate. You know, it's also important to note here that until this time, Nehemiah had hid his sadness from the king. But on this day, the heaviness of his heart, you know, it couldn't be hidden no more. It, it, it couldn't be hidden no more. Nehemiah was sad this day because he had been to his own funeral. He had come to the place of death, of self, of personal ambitions. Yet, because of the time he had spent with the Lord, he was now prepared to come to the king and make a request. Now, the second thing we've got to understand is we've got to prepare patiently, verse 1 and 2. Wherefore, the king said to me, he says in verse 2, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of the heart. And then I was sore afraid. Now, even though he had spent four months in prayer, this, this was something that kind of shook him up here. I've got to go before the king, and I've got to ask permission to leave for a time, period. You see, though Nehemiah was afraid, folks, he stood before the king, and he was able to remain bold because he had prepared properly. Let me tell you something. You prepare properly and you can be bold in your witness. You see, if we really have a burden for the Lord, it will ultimately reveal itself in some way. In some way. You see, I do not believe that Nehemiah went before the king this day and said to himself, I, you know, as he was going, walking in there, the king, I don't think Nehemiah said this, hmm, I need to go, but I don't think the king's going to let me go. So here's what I'm going to do. I, I need to put on the saddest face I can. I need to look miserable, and I need to look as burdened as I can and make the king feel sorry for me. And if the king feels sorry for me, maybe he'll let me go. Maybe he'll let me go to Judah. You know, I don't think he'd done that whatsoever, folks. No, on this day, Nehemiah stood before the king and what shone on his face was that deep burden that he had been praying about for four months. He did not do it for a show with the sadness on his countenance. You remember in Matthew 16, or chapter 6, verse 16, 
Jesus made this statement. He said, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites, who, uh, who of a sad countenance they disfigure their face, that they may be appear before men to fast. What Jesus was saying is, don't make yourself look sad. Don't, 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 don't grab your stomach and say, oh my gosh, I've been fasting for a day and a half. A day and a half? Come on, get real. You know, no. Nehemiah fasted for four months. He prayed for four months. And he would, he, that during that whole time, look here, don't miss this. During that whole time, he, would never, he never looked sad before the king. He never put on this face that, that Jesus was getting on to the Pharisees for putting on, making their countenance look sad, making, uh, disfiguring their face so it'll appear that, oh, man, I've been really doing these for the Lord. So Nehemiah had patiently prepared for four months. Now, God's burden had become his burden, and he knew he had a mission from God. Look, do you have a mission statement from God? I want you to stop and think about it. Do you have a mission statement for God? Has there been anything that God has said, maybe you need to get involved in this? You know this ministry is in, has a need within the church. Maybe you need to step up to the plate. Is there anything that maybe God has just touched your heart with and you've kind of just covered it up because you didn't want to have to? First of all, that's sin. Okay, you understand that's sin? But do you have a mission statement from God? Dads, do you have a mission statement concerning your family? Moms, do you have a mission statement concerning your family? Young people, what is your mission statement in life? You know, as I look around, it seems that we as God's people and as a nation are no longer broken, are broken by the walls that are down in this nation. We are no longer broken over the walls that are down within our church, the walls that are down within our society, within our families, the walls that are down because of the lost who every day are dying and go to hell. We could care less. Nehemiah prayed fervently. He persevered patiently. And the third thing we must do as Nehemiah is proceed confidently. Verse 2c, and I was sore afraid. You see, Nehemiah was just like the rest of us. He, he, he was fearful of the unknown and that which God was calling him to do. And though he was afraid, he broke through that fear with confidence. He broke through with confidence. Look, many people are not, never successful in life because they do not break through that fear and move forward from God. Do you know where fear comes from in your life? From Satan. He is the father of it. You see, and here's the thing. Fear is a facade that Satan places before us to make us think that the task God has set before us is impossible and that there's no way that we could ever accomplish it. That's the fear Satan puts upon us. And that fear causes us to give up before we ever get started. But prayer will always, prayer will always, prayer will always overcome fear. Now what we see is that through, though he feared, 
Nehemiah offered up that 911 prayer. Now, what I mean by that is, you know, he was before the king, verse uh, 4 there. And the king said to me, what's your request? What do you want me to do here, Nehemiah? I mean, you're coming to me, you know, I can see this burden upon you. What do you want to do? What do you want? What do you expect of me? Now, look at that last part. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, again, this isn't the four-month prayer. This is just a quick 911 prayer. God, you know, I, 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 I'm prepared. I've done what you asked me to do. Help me out here. Just a quick 911 prayer. Lord, it's just you and me now. You know, Paul said in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, he said, our God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what we think or what we ask. Think about that. God is able to give more than what we ask. Now, God always does what we ask, and then some, if we're in his will. You know, Nehemiah was about to prove this to be true. As he begins making his request he, he, to the king, he didn't stop just at one thing. He kept asking for more and more and more. Okay, look at verse 7 and 8. And the fourth thing is we've got to prosper great, gratefully. In verse 7 and 8, and for more, I, I said to the king, if it pleased the king, let letters be given to me of the governor. All right, he did, after he said, can I go, king said, sure, you can go. He said, okay, let's see. Let, let's take this another step further. Uh, will you give me letters to the governors that they'll let me go through? Sure, I'll do that, Nehemiah. Hmm, that was easy enough. And a letter to Aspen, the keeper of the king's forest, that he can give me all the timber that I need. You know, hmm, I can do that. Wow, this is pretty easy, isn't it? You know, and, and he just goes on and on and on. Why was he able to do that? Because just a few verses up there, we've seen that he was fearful as he stood before the king. It's because he was prepared. He threw up that 911 prayer asking God, just, okay, it's me and you. Give me the strength. And boy, God gave him the strength. God gave him the courage. God gave him the boldness. And man, he just kept on requesting. And the king kept on giving. Exceedingly and above what we ask or think. Folks, that's the kind of God we serve. You get in God's will. You step up to the plate. You ask God to use you however he desires. And let me tell you something. You will receive power and boldness like you never thought possible in your life. I don't care how shy you are. I don't care how bashful you are. The spirit of God will come upon you and he will give you that strength. He will give you that power. He'll give you that ability above and beyond whatever you could think or ask. Isn't that great? Notice Nehemiah didn't stop with that one request. Boldly, he just kept on, and he kept on, and he kept on. Now, here's the last thing I want you to notice in these verses I just read. You know, he could have taken all the credit for himself. First of all, he could have just gave all the credit to the king and said, boy, the king just gave me everything I wanted. Thank you, king. Praise you, king. God bless you, king. Or he could have said, you know what? I had the boldness to go before the king. That's why I got all this stuff. Look what I did. I stood strong. I stood strong. 
He could have taken all the credit for himself because after all, he was bold enough to go before the king in the first place. But Nehemiah knew it was all about the grace of God. Again, look what he says there in the last part of verse 8. According to the hand of my God upon me. Why did I get all the stuff that I got? Because the hand of God was upon me. Nehemiah gave all the credit to God. You see, when we step up to the plate and we are successful, it's not because I did anything. Do, do we understand that? It's not about me. It's about God. Yes, I stepped up to the plate. Yes, I was obedient. But God gave the increase. God gave the increase. We give credit to God. Many think their success is, is a personal success due to their hard work, their ability, or their education. But, folks, we must learn to give credit <clears throat> where credit is due. Where credit is due. Far too many people, <laughs> they're, they're, they're like the old woodpecker. We got a woodpecker out at our bird feeder, and he runs all them other birds off. It makes Debbie mad. I wonder if she hasn't shot him yet. But they'd get her for animal cruelty, I guess. And, but anyway, it's like the old woodpecker who, who flew up on this telephone pole, and just as he started pecking on the pole, lightning hit the pole and split it from the top to the bottom. Boy, he flew off, and he got five of his friends and brought them back, and, and he said, look what I did. Some of you who are slow to catch jokes will catch that in a moment. He said, look what I did. Had the woodpecker split it from top to bottom? No, the lightning did. But you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to take all the credit for that light pole split in half because I pecked on it. I hit it with my beak. <coughs> look, Nehemiah didn't boast. Look what I did. He bragged on God. Look what God has done. Look what God has done. Look, God is still moving and working in the lives of people who are willing to step up to the plate. The problem is this type of person in today's world is far and few in between. You know, I believe there's a, there is possibly some here this morning or some who have joined us on our live stream who God is calling and he's saying to you, okay, it's time that you step up to the plate and be counted. And you know what? You know who you are. You know, I, I believe that God is saying to some this morning, you've been playing Christian far too long, and now God is calling you to get serious with your commitment. You know who you are. I believe there's others this morning that God may be calling, you know, uh, and you're one of that 10% uh, or you're one of that 90% in ministry, and God is saying to you, I want you out of that 90% and into that 10%, and you know who you are. Maybe there's some this morning who is listening to this or here or whatever, and you're a part of that you know, 90% who is not tithing, and God is saying to you, you must move into that 10%. And you know who you are. You see, if the Spirit of God is moving you to step up to the plate in whatever it is He's moving you to step up to the plate in, ministry, tithing, service, you know, whatever, and you say no to the Holy Spirit, that's sin. That's sin. 
and expect to receive the consequences of that sin. Say, Pastor, that's pretty harsh. Take it up with God. I'm just telling you what his word says, okay? Take it up with him. You know, the Marines say we're looking for a few good men. God is saying that he's looking for men and women who will pray fervently, prepare patiently, proceed confidently, and prosper greatly. And this type of person is one who will make a difference in the rebuilding of walls. Look, are there walls in your life that need rebuilt? There's some things in your life that have just crumbled down, some walls that have just crumbled, and you're saying, why, God? Maybe you need to quit asking God why and start fasting and mourning and praying and weeping. Not just for a day, not just for a week, maybe one month, maybe four months. And then when God reveals himself to you, get up off your knees and say, Lord, here am I, send me. I'm ready to be the one that makes a difference. If so, surrender yourself to God this morning. Step up to the plate and be all that God wants you to be. Folks, we're living in a crumbled world. We're living in a society that, wow, I, I just don't know. In fact, you know, this here, which I'll be mentioning in a few minutes again, you know, it, it shows how sick our society is, how broken our society is. And the question is, are you willing to be one who says, God, use me however you see fit? Let's pray.